This won't be painful, but it will be emotional. I know that it is part of our culture not to show emotion. Some people deem it weak. My Lord wept. (laughs) Weak that. So I may weep a few times. This is uh, tough, tough stuff. But Dan wanted turning points, and so Tony shared, you know, how uh, we were wonderfully and fearfully made by God and the story of his life and, and shared. And, and so I thought about it, and I was like, well, I guess I should share. And, but, boy, it's, it's hard, Lord, hard. Because we're going to hear things that are just awful and terrible and, and sad and depressing. Why would I want to tell you something like that? Well, just like Dan said earlier when he's talking about the, the men's father-son backpack, sometimes when you're climbing the mountain, you thought, I'm not getting anywhere. And then all of a sudden you look back and you realize, wow, I'm near the top. Well, that's what kind of this message is about, although I'm nowhere near the top, but thank God I've at least left the ground. I am convinced I'll never climb a mountain until Jesus holds my hands. I hate heights. I hate it. I hate it. And since he ain't come down to grab my hand, well, I can just dream of the heavenly heights with him holding me one day. So, At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. I hope you heard that. I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. We're in a culture that is permeated with the education craziness. They even have labeled it with godlike powers. Knowledge is. No, Jesus is. He gives us knowledge that we can use, but if there's any power in that knowledge, it is Him working it through us. And so it's very careful that we we set aside our intellect and we set aside our logic and we set aside all that stuff. Not that it shouldn't be used. It should be used. It's part of your life. It's the way God made you, just like Tony said. But that is not penthultimate. That is not key to you learning anything today. What is key to you learning is the humility to go before an Almighty God and say... (laughs) I ain't that smart. I ain't that strong. And I ain't that together. My prayer in this sermon is that each of us would be moved by the Spirit for a greater love for our Father. The reason being, because if we love the Father with a love that is from Him, we will love ourselves as we should. And we know that we should love our neighbors as we should. So this message is, Ultimately, about getting along, getting along in God. Because there is no getting along outside of God. I know there are multiple roads that lead to Jesus Christ. Look at the story of Paul. Look at the story of, of the, the centurion. Look at the story of Zacchaeus. Look at the story of the woman at the well. All these different ways that people came to know Jesus. I'm convinced of that. But I'm equally and eternally banking my soul on this truth that Jesus is the only way to my Father who can give me love. 
I don't say that with an apology, just like I don't say when I get to those times where I come apart like a wet taco today. <laughs> it's okay. I want to encourage you that as we worship together, you got to learn to let it go too. We all do. I don't know what we're hanging on to, but boy, we hang on tight. Let's pray. Father, that is my prayer, that you would give us a love for yourself. And through the reconciliation of Jesus Christ and the work he did on the cross, you would help us to bring all that we have that is not from you and set it before him and let him take it and forever banish it to the deepest part of the sea where it will never be brought up again. Lord, not only that, but the power of Jesus not only cleanses us, but it keeps us, it holds us, and it teaches us to walk in the way, the way of life, which is our Lord. And Father, with a new love for ourselves, being forgiven and cleansed, may we move in that love to love those around us as we love ourselves. Father, make that a reality in our lives. I praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a story about turning points. Um, like I said, Tony shared, Brian shared a couple of weeks back. My turning point is actually the death of my father. Ooh, here we go. <laughs> but before I get to that, that tragedy, let me start off with the sins of my father. Because we don't do that. We don't like to talk about that we come from fallen, broken, dysfunctional, Jerry Springer type families. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we could have made them reality shows look tame. My father was not an upstanding man in the community. He didn't give a rip about the community. He was a member of a notorious biker gang concerned with drugs, drunkenness, and the debauchery that goes along with it. He was violent, intensely violent. I've blocked out the memories, but my brother Jim could tell you because he was seven. I was about three at the time. My father used to beat my mother mercilessly. He broke bones. Medical records prove it. Not only was he violent towards people, my mother, he was unfaithful. Just three months before I was conceived, he had an affair outside the marriage with a woman just a couple towns away and had a son just a few months older than me who I would later meet in life that I had no idea existed. Not only was he violent, not only was he unfaithful, and here we go, he forsook his family. Killed himself. You think, what is wrong? At the age of four, you think, what is wrong? What is going on here? Blocked it out, I don't remember it. The circumstances behind it were awful. He was arrested. He was taken to jail. My mother, frantic, told him, please watch him. Please watch him. He's going to kill himself. I learned this later on. One of my drunken uncles told me. <laughs> Johnny, he kept, she kept telling him he's going to kill himself. But for whatever reason, whether they thought she was just a panicky woman who had no reason to be worried or, or whatever, they didn't watch him. And he hung himself in that jail cell. He left my mother with three boys under the age of seven. She freaked out. She left. 
I don't, uh, I don't remember that. The tears are actually for my brother. He does. Dad dies. Mom leaves. And we are handed off to an assortment of characters that, good night. She came back. She came back. And she started a life with us. But she couldn't get away from the hurt and the pain and the shame and the whispers from people that, that's her. That's that lady. That's, that's his wife. That's one of his boys. I was too young to see the finger pointing. I came to know it when I was older in a small place like that. A lot of people know. And they pointed and they talked. It started a process of moving around for five years to some of the darkest, most god-awful things you can imagine happening to people. Whether it was myself or my brothers, my mother, or people around me, or even animals. Just the insane stuff people were doing around me. I was like, this is, this is crazy. No human being should be subjected to this kind of usury, to this kind of it's a piece of meat to be chewed on and then tossed aside for something else. My mother dealt with it by running away. My brother Jim started using alcohol to deal with it. My brother Jerry just pushed it down inside and didn't talk about it. I? Well, I was a chip off the old block. I got mad. Real mad. But you really don't, you really can't understand that anger manifested in a seven-year-old boy. I'm going to give you an example. I don't do this just to be funny. It is funny, but it's tragic in a way because you hear the story. But just to give you an example of the extent of the rage that I would go to to defend myself against any perceived ill that was coming at me because I determined at about age seven that never again would bad things happen around me or to me. And I would kill who came after me, or die trying. Seven years old, made that up in my mind. I was walking into a new school yet again. <laughs> I was coming to the front steps, and the steps go up into the school, and there was a group of children sitting there. And I remember one of the boys, and I remember his name, Paul Poletti. Second grade, he starts teasing me. And I kept walking at him. walking at him. He got two verbal jabs out of his second grade mouth before my second grade foot shut it. Paul didn't say too much after that. Of course, if he did, I wouldn't have hurt him. I was being dragged away, kicking and screaming by attendants and teachers. Because of the seriousness of my offense, I was sent to a special counselor, a behavioral specialist. Back in the day, they had him too. I came in and she said, sit down, John. I looked right back at her and said, no. No. This was the best the world was going to offer me for my little anger problem. Listen to this. This is, if it wasn't comical, it would just be sad. A second grade boy deeply hurting from the ills he's seeing around him, angry at everybody and everything, willing to kill just to defend himself, comes in and she says, you need to let your anger out. Let me tell you something. You don't have to be told twice to let the monster come out and play when you don't know Jesus The monster came out. She said, hit that clown over there. 
I had this clown, you know, the kind with the sand in the bottom. If you've heard this story, you know, please forgive me. But the, the sand's in the bottom, and you hit it, and the thing, you know, comes back up. And I didn't know that. I looked at that clown, and like I said, woohoo! I flew at that thing with a rage ready to kick the living snot out of an inanimate object. I hit that thing, and it went down, and wouldn't you know what that thing came up with its big, goofy lips looking at me? And I came undone. I jumped on that thing, and I squeezed it, and I bit that sucker, and the clown died! (laughs) The victory was fleeting because I didn't get to see that counselor again, nor did I hear anything she said because kicking and screaming I was dragged out again. That was it. That's what the world had to offer me. Hit a, hit a clown. I was mad. I was mad at everybody and everything. As a little boy, you just don't get it. But I was starting to get it. This world was a big bad place and people were mean. They could not be trusted. And so, don't go near them. Don't get too close. Certainly don't let them in. About age 10, I was sitting on the couch with my mother, and she was knitting, cold December day, watching Monday night football. I don't know why clowns come up in my life, but another clown came up. During that Monday night football game, the point after attempt, the kicker kicked it. It went up through the uprights. It was good. And there stood some guy with that big rainbow wig on, holding a big sign. And what did it say? John 3.16. You watch Monday night football, too? John 3.16, I didn't have a clue what John 3.16 meant, but I asked my mother, I said, Mom, what does John 3.16 mean? She doesn't even look up. She goes, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believeth on him will not perish but have everlasting life. I heard, For God so loved, blah, 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 blah. But I did hear, For God so loved the world. I didn't say nothing to my mother because I didn't like to make her unhappy. She had enough unhappiness. My anger still caused lots of unhappiness for her. Don't think for a moment it didn't. But at that point, my anger now was directed not only at those around me, it was directed at God now. For God so loved, good night. So loved what? Creeps and cretins? Perverts and abusers? Drunks and liars, God so loved. I don't know if any of you have seen Nacho Libre. I decided to believe in the science. You know, I didn't really believe it, but I, I said it just to spite God. They say evolution's true, but I've got to be honest with you, I knew in my heart of hearts. We didn't come from apes, and we were just disgracing apes by saying so. (laughs) They fling poo better than we do. (laughs) It's good to laugh in the middle of pain, isn't it? God allows that. It's okay to stop and go, wow, this is heavy. Ooh, that's funny. (laughs) It's okay. It's part of life. But back to the anger. I went out into the woods at about, oh, age 11 or so in Minnesota. We have big pine trees, not as big as the ones here, but it's a Norway pine. And I sat underneath it, 
And the woods are still in Minnesota, and, and you can get pretty deep in there, and no one hears you. So I could go out there and yell and scream and holler and do whatever I want to do, shoot things and have a good time. I was out in the woods, and I went out there for the specific purpose of telling God, I hate I hate you, God. How can you be any kind of God to let the tragedies that happen to little boys and women? I hate you and I won't believe in you. Not unless you tell me why. Why? I'm glad he didn't kill me, strike me down. I deserved it. He didn't answer me. I left that woods convinced that if God was anything, he was just a coward that wouldn't confront me. I had more respect for the Cretans who at least presented themselves in front of me. Fast forward a couple more years. I'm working my first job in a potato field picking weeds. Real poor people get good jobs. They, they call this an economic opportunity for the disadvantaged, i.e., you get $2.50 an hour to pick weeds out of a potato field. I thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. I thought it was good money. I didn't really care about the work. I just liked passing the time. There was a lady there named Sue Pavlovich. She was the first Christian I believe I met. may have met others. I just don't remember them but I know she was the first prophet. She looked at me. She said, John Barry, Jesus Christ is going to do great things in your life. She used to come every day and talk about God. As soon as God or Jesus or the Bible or anything came out of her mouth, it would be like, like a crowd scurrying away from a bomb. Everybody would leave, but I would be left there. But I intentionally stayed there because I didn't want to listen to her. I hear my voice, my mocking voice among the scoffers. We sang that part, and i got to tell you, that hurts, because that's what I was doing. I would just sit there and disarm arguments. Age 12 or 13, I'm sitting there, theological discussions about the goodness of God. But she kept saying, John Barry, God is good. He's going to do great things in your life. One day I could take it no more. She said it again, and Sue there was something about her. her she, my anger was disarmed. I couldn't, I couldn't defend myself the, norm, the normal way, you know, by just blowing up and kicking, screaming, biting, you know, whatever. I couldn't. I don't know why. I know now it was the Spirit of God. I was disarmed and I had to listen. And one day, she said, John Barry, God is good. And with as much anger as I could muster up, I said, Sue, how can you say God is good? Look at the garbage in this world. Look at the tragedy. God is good. That's a lie. How can God be good if these awful, awful things take place in our life? What she said next changed my life. It took a while. It wasn't instantaneous. I'm a slow learner. I need many examples. I need lots of time. I need patience. I've met far too many people who left me behind because I wasn't quick enough. I wasn't fast enough. I wasn't smart enough. I wasn't fit enough. 
but Sue didn't leave me behind. I said, John Barry, why do you blame the evil that humans do? Why do you blame God for the bad things we do? Listen to the humility in that. The bad things we do. She included herself. She wasn't even defending herself. She was putting herself in the, in the likes of the wretches like my father. That didn't make sense. What do you mean, we? And then it hit me. I grew up just like my daddy. And I was going to do the same thing. I was going to repeat the same thing. And it scared me. More than I've ever been scared before. I didn't want to be a wife beater. I didn't want to hurt people. And I most certainly didn't want to kill myself. God began to work in my heart. And just a few years later, I learned how to love myself. You see, God never planned that I was to be special just from birth. You know, so I had a certain birthright. And you'd look at my family and say, ah, fine stock. <laughs> just, just the opposite. He created me for His glory. There's a little verse that Archie read in that Scripture reading. I'm going to share it with you. It's right after the verse that says, uh, you've revealed it to little children. Yes, Father, this was your good pleasure. In the next verse it says, all things have been committed to me by my Father. Jesus said that. God was in control of every one of those moments. He was in them, orchestrating them, working through them, withholding, releasing. He was teaching a little child who wasn't wise or learned. By His grace, I heard Him and accepted Jesus Christ. I believe He cleanses us of our sin. I believe He gives us a way to be free of sin. But our nature calls us back, doesn't it? With my anger now dealt with and a love for myself firmly in place, and a love for God, I began to walk with Jesus. He's good. Walk with Him. He's real good. But I hadn't learned how to love those around me. You see, I still don't trust y'all. Because I'm sinful. When I was in my early 20s, I went back to visit my mother. This is the next dicey part. We went to his grave, which for some reason I don't remember much going to his grave. I block all these things out apparently. Maybe I push it down more than I think. We stood over his grave and I'm standing there kind of disinterested just waiting to get the A&W root beer or whatever it is we're going to do afterwards. And my mom's got tears in her eyes, which you know automatically sets me like, <laughs> like that. And all of a sudden she spoke. She's looking down at at the tombstone and she said, I loved you. (laughs) Are you kidding me? You what? That man beat you. That man cheated on you. That man forsook you. 
You loved him? She looked up and I wish she could meet my mom. She talks pretty soft when she wants to. She looked up and she said, again, I loved him, John. And so should you. Isn't that the heart of God? Those who hurt us, those who persecute us, those that would revile us, those that would hate us, those that would kill us. Love them. I am free. I love my dad. I love my mom. But all because God loved me first. The question is, will you let Him love you? Will you open your heart and say, God, I don't love me. Most of us have a self-love that is straight from the pit of hell. We need the love that is from God so we can let go of the things that so easily take our eyes off of God. As we pray, you talk to God. You tell Him your hurts. You tell Him your sins. You tell Him your difficult ones to love in your life. He'll give you Jesus. Let me close with this verse before we pray. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Let's pray. Lord, what can you say? Each one of us has deemed ourselves more worthy of getting what's right than guilty of what's doing wrong. Father, we're so quick to acknowledge when someone hurts us, but we're so slow to realize that We too are involved in the fallen nature and sin of this world. God, you are gracious and you open my eyes to see your sovereignty through the pain and the suffering. You open my eyes to see the forgiveness and the healing that can take place through Jesus Christ from sins committed and hurts against you. And you've opened my eyes to the glorious love that we can share between brothers and sisters. Father, would you do that in our hearts? Would you in your grace open our eyes and help us to sing to you and you alone?